With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Introducing aliveness with the Gigglers, Jen Halterman, and that's Tamara Yonker. <laughs> hmm. I was going to say, we do a disclaimer this morning that says, Giggle alert. If you are not in the mood to giggle, change the channel. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> I woke up giggling oh. this morning. Like, that's just how the day started. I was like, yeah, that is a good way to start the day. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is good. And I love that you we you know, we accidentally start the show early every damn morning. Like we can't help ourselves mm-hmm. start talking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the topic and feedback that's come in and what are our awarenesses and what's been shared and then next thing you know we're like da 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 da, da oh five, four, three, two, you're live and then we're like hey. Oh, we already were <laughs> Yeah, now we just have to go back and do a recap for all the people who couldn't hear us before we actually went live. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I was sharing some feedback with Tamara that one of the listeners was sharing yesterday that actually this awareness feels like a a letting go of all the structures that mm. she's so familiar with and that it felt like she was actually like, leaving her body like what do I do now having no frame of reference and how without the structure and the automatic system running of living at the effect of everything and everybody that there just was kind of this wait what I don't well now what do I do and so we were you know talking about how I use breath I use a lot of breathing with my clients and and conversations and in my own life as a way to really embody whatever it is I'm going through. I, if, I, if I'm upset, if I'm laughing, if I'm really wanting to enjoy like food or whatever it is, I am sure that I incorporate breath into it because it's the most, it's the most useful way for me to activate my body's engagement. And so that's hmm. what I choose. And, and so I was like, hey, yeah, let's breathe, get back in the body, what's going on. And that freedom can be so daunting. When you start breaking up, mm. the freedom can feel quite overwhelming. And, and that's kind of what got us going because, you know, Tamara, you started sharing your experience of letting go of the effect mm. of everything. And what was that about? Because that's when we started laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's untethered, right? Freedom is is a sense of I I would describe it, and and other people uh, have described it as being untethered, right? You have all of these reference points, all these stability points, all of these things that are familiar. It's almost like um, it's being in that familiar landscape, and you can look around you, and you're like, yep, 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 familiar, comfortable, familiar, comfortable, familiar, comfortable, and then all of a sudden, when you begin to allow that to dissolve. Because it's all illusion, really. And so when it all starts to dissolve, suddenly you're untethered and it's like free-floating in space almost. And you're like, oh, wait, I've got nothing to grab onto to stabilize myself. It's very, that's the word that I've used in the past. It's very destabilizing. And if you're, if you find yourself being uncomfortable in that destabilized space, um, yeah, whatever tool, breathing or whatever tool that you can find. I mean, I don't, it doesn't cause me anxiety anymore. I don't get anxious at all. Um, probably in the beginning it was, <clears throat> but, but now it's, uh, it's exciting. It's like, woohoo, mm-hmm. like I just broke through some more bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's cool. That's super cool. I, and I love that piece of, 
I don't know, just what's it going to take for, because most people, what they do in life is anything that's uncomfortable, unfamiliar, destabilized, um, they don't like that. They see that as discomfort. And so they reach back to the old structures. They go back to what's familiar and they stop it immediately as quickly as they can because it is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They don't want to experience discomfort, so they stop. And I think mm-hmm. that, that is a very big piece of this is are you willing to be uncomfortable in setting yourself free? Or do you think that setting yourself free should be nice and cozy and super safe appearing and blah, blah, blah? Yeah. Yeah. Because that'll stop you. Uh yeah, I love that. Are you willing to be uncomfortable while setting yourself free? <laughs> like, the the funny thing is, if you are still looking to be comfortable, it's 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 back into that paradox again. It's back into that the irony of like, I'm I'm my desire is to set myself free, and yet I'm seeking the uh, familiar stability points. So you kind of have to, and it's okay, one foot and two canoes for a while, I get it, you know, bounce back and forth, you're like, free, yay, this is amazing, oh shit, now I'm freaked out, okay, back to the other, back to what I know, and then um, (laughs) it's, for my my experience, eventually the freedom became so uh, desirable that the the idea of seeking safety again, it's, it's like I was talking about yesterday, when I discovered that it was me judging that created the separation that felt crappy. Like it felt like I was, I was like, Oh my God, I'm punishing myself. When I realized Mm. that that was the very thing that was creating my misery and suffering. um, Then I, I, I knew that I no longer want to choose that. Like it was, it was like, Oh, I get it. I'm punishing myself. I'm creating my misery and suffering. I don't want to do that anymore. So it's sort of like the same thing when I started recognizing that I had the capacity to set myself free and the more free I freedom I chose, the more delightful my life became, you know, more joyful, more ease, more all of that stuff. I was like, Oh, I get this. I get how this works. And then that desire led, that that desire became the leader and this and the idea of safety became less and less appealing because I'm I'm back into the old patterns that make that are like punishing me again. I'm like, oh this feels like crap. Oh this feels like oh just hit myself in the head one more time. Drop another cement brick on my foot. Ah ugh, uh, uh. And I was like, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> that was not fun. Uh, so the desire for freedom became the thing that led. And you know, when, if that becomes, that's my experience, when, if that becomes something that you experience, then, you know, it's, it, that's where the ease takes, uh, kicks in. Because for me, I've never changed anything without the desire to do so. I, I can't fight right. myself, right? I, I mean, I can, but it doesn't go anywhere. It just goes in circles like a dog chasing its tail. I mean, I can't force myself to force myself. I can, but I can only do it for so long. It's not sustainable. So the only way that anything's ever changed in my life is when I let desire lead. And when I, when, like to me, that is the most powerful energy of creation, desire coupled with choice. When mm. I've got desire fully fueled and choice at the ready, boom, I am creating like a, master of the universe. So (laughs) it's really where, you know, navigating that area of noticing, oh, I just punished myself again by choosing something that makes me miserable. Oh, I just created, I just judged and separated and that feels like crap. Like really having the distinction of where what I'm choosing, like, oh, this is what I chose this. That's what created. I chose this. That's what it created. I chose this. Oh, like really getting clear. And that's the whole intimacy part. Being very aware, like, uh, you know, somebody told me once, my cousin told me once upon a time, she's like, I think you're just very, so much more spiritually advanced than me. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like I had to ask her. And so she started describing what she thought that meant to her. And I said, oh, well, it sounds to me like what you're describing is just um, a, a fairly, a fairly, I have a fairly strong mastery of self-awareness. Like I, I've been doing self-reflection for almost 20 years. So um, <laughs> if you just got started two months ago, <laughs> it's not that I have some capacity that you don't, I've just been doing it longer. So I'm just able to see things in that distinction. I'm able to see more clearly because I have practiced this for a very long time. 
Choose this creates misery. Choose that creates freedom and joy. Oh, got it. Mm-hmm. Like that distinction well, it's very similar. is. Go ahead. It's kind of vital. Yeah, it is. And what would I was going to say? Sorry about that. Is it's it's like Sherry. She can she can listen to a song. She's a musician. She can listen to a song, pick her up her guitar, and she can start noodling and find the notes. Okay. Then mm-hmm. somebody who wants to sing that song, she can hear in their range, in their vo- vocal range, where now from what she heard in the original song, what the distinction is from that to where the person can sing it well. And she adjusts. Mm. She doesn't go into a long explanation. She doesn't have to process it. She doesn't have to clear it. She automatically makes the adjustment of change, not that she didn't need to do all of that. Okay, I got to write it down. I got to transpose it. I got to figure it out. Like she's been playing guitar since she was like 10. So she's got a lifetime of experience. It is very useful when people come to her and say, I want to play the guitar like you. And they, they've got, you know, like I said, two months of experience. And they're pissed off and they don't, they don't do the practice. And they're like, no, I don't want to have to learn it. I don't want to suck. I just want to be like you. <laughs> what they are discounting is what it is to embody something new, to live it, to practice it, to create it so familiar that it is part of who you be, not something you do. And yeah. that to me is the distinction of what it is, that why we would even go through all these shows, is all of this is really great. This is great. All right? Awesome. And yeah. none of it is going to change your life unless you live it. This, you can take all this knowledge, you can file it away in your brilliant mind, and until you live it, you only have a nice idea. You actually mm-hmm. will not experience change. You must live it mm-hmm. in order to create the change. And that's the, that's the distinction that I think we're talking about and inviting people, like, what would it take to practice this? What would it take to live this? What would it take? You know, when I first learned the breathing technique, I remember sitting on a ball and having my coach look at me and say, you're breathing backwards. I'm like, huh? You inhale to fill up your chest. You're sucking in your gut. That's backwards. <coughs> what we're talking about actually breathing into your belly. Let your belly expand. And I can remember being so confused that I couldn't even breathe. I had to think of the order I was breathing, which keeps me alive, by the way, but I had to think of the way to do it was actually kind to my body instead of breathing in the restriction of what I had thought looked good by sucking in the belly and breathing into the chest. And so it took years of getting really comfortable with breathing in a way that honors my body. Now, that may sound crazy until you come up against something that is really natural for somebody and you realize you're doing it backwards or you're not doing it at all. It's just that simple. And it requires practice in your day-to-day life. <clears throat> and I, I talked about this yesterday, and I, I, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, um, if you decide this is going to be hard, it will be. If you decide you're fully capable of creating the change that you desire in your life, you can. I mean, there's, a, there's an old quote by uh, Henry Ford that if you think you're right or you think you're wrong, you're, if you think you can, that's what it is. If you think you can yeah. or you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that quote. If you think you can or you yep. think you can't, you're right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. how you think about your your experience determines your experience. So use your thoughts to your advantage. <laughs> Why don't you? <ya? laughs> Just a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm, I love that. Especially when we're talking about, like, you know, we've been talking about the victim, we've talked about the villain, today we're going to talk about the hero. And one of the things that really comes up for, in just my own awareness and ponderings as I, you know, sip my coffee, is 
how many people are waiting, waiting for the hero? Whether the hero is going to be winning the lottery or the love of your life or, you know, the king that's going to come rescue you from the castle. Like, how many are waiting for that hero? Mm. Because if you're waiting for something or someone, you're not actively engaged in your living, in your creating, in mm. your life. Yeah. And so that's oh, one, man. one of the things that... Right, right. Yeah, that can be a huge stop. And if you believe you don't have the capacity because what you're waiting for is the answer that has that capacity, there's no way you would recognize that capacity, even if it was sitting in your lap, Mm -hmm. because you've already decided it's not there. True that. Man, did I do it. Oh, did I do it. I... (laughs) (laughs) I laugh now, not funny then, but I laugh now and say that I was Cinderella-fied as a kid. Mm. I grew up with Disney, and what did Disney teach me? That some (laughs) prince was going to ride up on a white horse and rescue me from whatever. (laughs) I truly (laughs) stalled in my reality. Snow White, Cinderella, whatever, like somehow, some way... Um, that was that was one of the things I really recall from childhood was how much I immersed myself with Disney. Uh, it got installed, and and I was living that out. I was waiting. Talk about waiting, 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 waiting. Where's the prince? Where's the prince? And I didn't think about this. Trust me, there was no cognitive. I didn't sit around all day go, on going. When's my prince going to come? When's my prince going to come? When's he going to come rescue me? I didn't think <laughs> about it. It was just installed in my operating system. So I literally was waiting for a man to create my life for me. I was, and what does that mean? That means I was waiting for him. I was making him, whoever he was, whatever man was in my <laughs> life at the time or whatever man I was waiting to come into my life at the time, he was responsible for my experience in <laughs> every way. Now, waking <sighs> up from that was a rude awakening, um, it was like coming out of a deep, deep, deep sleep when I realized I had made men responsible for my experience in entirety. So if they didn't, um, uh, I mean, that the way that I can't even, countless, countless, countless ways that that showed up. I had to do everything through them. Like I couldn't have my own power. The power had to be through them. The creativity had to be through them. Um, They, if they didn't, if I wanted something and they didn't provide it or they didn't, I mean, even something as simple as I remember going to the airport uh, with my boyfriend in college and we were, we were taking a flight and I was, I was wearing a dress, a silk dress, as a matter of fact, and we were in the car. It was summertime. And it was very hot. And I asked him to turn on the air conditioning. And he goes, no, nah, we'll just, I mean, I don't know what nobody said exactly, but he preferred to have the windows open rather than turn on the air conditioning in his car. So I sat there and sweat in my silk dress. Now, anyone who's ever worn a silk dress, you know what that creates. That is not fun. And that stains your dress pretty much permanently. So I yep. thought I just had to put up with that. Because men were in charge of my experience. So if I asked for something and they didn't give it to me, that was just what I had to, that was what I had to live with. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, well, I guess I just have to live with this. Like that kind of thing. I mean, that's just one example of the many, many, many ways that I made myself um, living at the, that's what, it, that's what it's like to live at the effect of someone when you're waiting for someone else to be responsible for your experience. And I did it until I didn't. Thank God. The one, eventually one day I woke up and went, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can remember a story that my, I, re, I just remember from my childhood being told and it was this man and this woman are driving, they're on a road trip. And, you know, the woman says to the man, are you thirsty? And he says, no, I'm good. Drives on. A few miles later, would you like to stop and get a drink? He says, no, I'm good. Drives on. 
They get all the way home, and hours later, and she is in tears getting out of the car. And he's like, what's wrong? She says, don't, I just can't talk about it. She goes in the house. Hours later, he finds her sitting, still crying, and says, what is wrong? She said, I was thirsty, and you wouldn't stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. And Yeah. And I remember that distinctly. I remember it not only was it a reflection of not being willing to ask for what we wanted, but to assume that if we hint that somebody else might want it, we might receive it, therefore they're the one giving us what we desire, is bullshit. It is a setup of magnitude. Like, if it's such, it, it, number one, that's where passive-aggressive stuff comes in. You know, I mean, there's all the labels we can give it, but just look. How much power would you have to give away to somebody to sit in a, a state of thirst and not actually speak specifically what you desire, but hold them accountable for your lack of speaking up? What mm-hmm. do you have to believe about yourself to give them that power and think they're your rescuer, your hero? Instead of providing for yourself what it is that you need, you know, by really being like very clearly, stop for a drink. Can we stop at the next rest stop? And if they say no, say, yes, we are. <laughs> you know, like, okay, yeah, you know, because there is a point of, there is a point of control and I know there's abuse and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you are in situations where people are happy to provide for you what they know you're actually requesting. But it starts with, will you request it? If you realize you're in a relationship or dynamic where somebody is, you know, holding that hostage from you, you might wonder, wonder, want to wonder why the hell you're there, but that's a whole different show. So <laughs> will you request specifically what it is you desire? What do you need? What is it? Will or do you hmm. require somebody else to read your mind and be your hero? Yeah. And and this is this is, you know, I mean the the show's topic today is breaking up with and as the rescuer. And so so the rescuer, I mean to me, hero, savior, rescuer, whatever you want whatever words you want to use, it's making somebody mm-hmm. in charge of the experience. So, so if I'm playing the victim to somebody's rescuer, then I'm, like in that example I just gave with my old boyfriend, I'm playing the victim waiting for someone to rescue me. So I'm enlisting everybody in that role, every single person I engaged with at that time when I was living that way, most specifically men, because I thought that they were in charge of my experience. I'm like, will you rescue me? Will you rescue me? Will you rescue me? Will you? And by asking, <laughs> and I'm not, I mean, I never said that, but what I'm doing is I'm placing that expectation. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. I'm placing that expectation. You are in charge of my experience. So you have to make me happy. You have to make me, like, if I'm sad, it's your fault. If I um, don't have enough money, then you need to get me more. You know, like everything, I'm literally placing that person as responsible for my well-being, my experience, everything that happens to me. So bad things happen, mm-hmm. it's their fault. You know, if I want something, they need to provide it. And, and as I, uh, the example that I gave is that I'm not even recognizing that I have the capacity to be in charge of my own experience. So I ask him to turn on the air conditioning. He says no, and I just sit there and suffer. And that's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Like in my world, there was no other choice. That's just what I had to put up with. You know, look at that in yourself. Are you waiting for someone to come along and take charge of your experience for you? And if they don't do it, do you just sit and suffer? This is how we get off the triangle. You want, to, you want to get off the triangle? It's beginning to recognize nobody is in charge of my experience except me. So if, yep. I don't, if I'm not happy with the way things are, it's not go out and find who's going to fix it for me. It's not go out and find the fault in something or someone outside myself. It's bringing all the responsibility back right here and saying, oh, this is not their job. And, and, the, and the flip side of that is if you play the rescuer, 
And oftentimes people who are waiting to be rescued will often slide quite easily into the rescuer position because they believe Mm -hmm. in that whole paradigm of rescuee, rescuer. So if I, it's like suddenly then I become the one who is responsible for the suffering of others. I see somebody who's unhappy and it's like, oh, well, it's my job to make them happy. And that might just be in a moment. Like I I remember, you know, it's like people will try, if a kid is not uh, laughing and giggling or whatever, it's like they'll try and change their mood by getting them to laugh and giggle, like start being silly to change the child's mood. Because it's like, oh, there's an unhappy person. It's my job to make you happy. (laughs) Nothing could have been more annoying to me when I was a kid than than an adult who was trying to make me happy. I wanted to just tell him to fuck off. (laughs) But I was a kid. I couldn't do that. (laughs) But it's it's like, talk about inflicting wrongness on me. They're basically saying, what you're choosing right now, I'm choosing to be unhappy. They're basically coming along and says, oh, what you're choosing right now, that's not acceptable. So I'm going to try and make you happy. I'm going to actually forcibly um, try and make you happy. And all I got was the message of your choice is wrong. Your choice is wrong. Your choice is wrong, which is what made me want to say, fuck you. (laughs) Right. So think about that as the rescuer. Every time you look, I hear this all the time from people who say this rescuer hero savior role. I just don't understand why they don't want to be happy. I just don't understand why they wouldn't, you know, choose something different so they could be happier. I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Guess what? Understanding is not required. Right. This is, we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about this yesterday. You don't have to understand somebody's choice. If someone doesn't want to be happy or their version of happiness looks different than yours, I just don't understand why they, you know, they suffer so when they could change that. With you know, you see it. You're like, oh, so easily they could just choose blah blah blah, and it would change it all. It doesn't mean they want to. So mm-hmm. that's part of the rescuer is they're is they're projecting all over everybody. They're projecting what they believe is right. They project what people should choose. They project what would make others happy, and they think it's their job to go and fix it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a very common. Thing. I experienced this. The number one person in this role was my my mother played this brilliantly. She was so good. Like she still does. You go to a family reunion or whatever. One of the grandkids is sitting off to the side reading a book, and she is going to do everything in her power to get them into the sameness of what everybody else is doing. Because mm-hmm. in her interpretation, that means that they're having a good time. And sadly, Uh she is alienated, she is cut off, she's made people, I mean, so many of the teenagers, you know, are like, I don't want to have to play volleyball. Like, you know, I mean, there's just like this, make grandma stop, you know, because she has, and she has no idea, she has no concept that she is the one who's uncomfortable. You know, they can be totally fine. The kids now, so my the age of my children and the grandkids, the older group, they are now young 20s, okay? So they're mid-20s all the way down through late teens, like out of high school, all of them in that particular group of kids that were all born at the same in that time. And they don't need to play a game to be entertained. They literally, if you play a game with them, they will be on their phones. And they will only pay attention when it's their turn, okay, when they're forced to play. However, if you leave them to their own choices, (laughs) what will happen is they will circle up, most likely in a corner away from the parents, their phones will be forgotten, and they will talk. But the moment an adult adult enters in, and tries to tell them how they should be connecting, what they should do different, they are disconnected on their devices and silent. I have seen it for the last, you know, at least five years. It is intense. And it is not the kids who are uncomfortable. It is, it's the adults. And that's one of the biggest things that I see these days is, how many of these children and, you know, millennials and people have said that these 
instant gratification generation and all this, and they're so unappreciative. And yet, if you will witness that, if you'll step, step back and not go to the judgment of the child, you will see how many, there's an entire, you know, decade of parents who think it's their job to entertain the children, to keep the children from getting into trouble and being busy. That's where the helicopter parenting we've talked about has come in. Mm-hmm. And then the suffocation of children. And if I'm bored, it's the parent's job to fulfill my boredom. So I'm not bored. Mm-hmm. I have no creativity. The kids have not been empowered to be creative, to create their life, to say, well, what would you like to do? What would be fun? You know, I mean, I can remember walking into the backyard when my son was young and walking in literally and having like, it was set up as a battlefield, tripwire, there was laser beams. And I was like, you've been back here by yourself for three hours. He's like, I know, and you're you're the enemy now. (laughs) I can remember, you know, going into these, playing the, you know, warfare games with him because his own creativity had set up a playground, and he was just waiting for a playmate. And sometimes I walked into it, sometimes my ex-husband did, sometimes his sisters. But he knew how to entertain himself. He knew how to create for himself what it was he wanted to create that day. And Mm -hmm. that, to me, is how many times are we thinking we're the hero by saving somebody from discomfort that could wake up their awareness that they could actually create something different. Yeah. That's serious. Well, and and this is this is the thing. If you're playing a role on the triangle and you're listening others to play the um opposite role with you or one of the other roles. So if you're playing rescuer and then you have children, it's almost like you invite them to play victim so that you can fortify your rescuer position. And I see this happen over and over and over. And then, and then as the children get older, the parents are dumbfounded as to why the children has no self, uh, uh, self-initiation. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't think for themselves. They don't do anything for themselves. They just sit around waiting because that's what you taught them. As if, you're, if you're the rescuer and you have children and then you put them on the victim position so you can fortify rescuer, when those kids get older and you're sitting there wondering, why don't they do anything? It's like, well, because you've been thinking and doing for them their whole life. You have taught them to wait for a rescuer to swoop in and do everything for them. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. This happens all the time. And, and this can be the way rescuers create their lives, right? They, they enlist mm-hmm. people. Oh, I'm playing. I'm here to save the day. I'm the rescuer. I'm the hero. I'm the savior. So, so all the people they invite into their life are generally people who are, uh, you know, victims who are like looking for somebody to rescue them. And then they t- t- create this week after week, year after year, month after month, like for decades. And one day they're like, I'm exhausted. I take care of everybody. Yeah. I do everything for everybody else. I'm, I'm constantly doing, doing, doing for all these people. I have no time for myself. What about me? And, you know, when you start inviting them to say, hey, did you create this experience? I have, I have several women that I know, several, who've done exactly this. They've fortified their rescuer position because it makes them feel that they have some value. This is the way they have a sense of value without rescuing everybody and being everything for everybody they don't believe they have any value whatsoever. So this is the way they fortify their value is being the rescue and the hero and the saver in everybody's life except their own. And then if at some point, and it's a big if, at some point they go, I don't want to do this anymore, what they start to notice is as they start pulling back everywhere they're being and doing everything for everyone, it's almost like the victims turn on there. They're like, but I need you. You've always done this for me. And what am I going to do without you? And you're my best friend. And it's like <laughs> they have a difficulty because the, the, sometimes the victims, as we know, we've talked about this as victims will do, they'll mm-hmm. turn on the emotional vi- manipulation to, get, to pull you back in to continue to play the role you've always played in each other's lives. You created this together. Nobody did this to you. And this is the thing about, mm-hmm. you know, going back to the beginning of the show, recognizing how you set this up. You set this up. Nobody did this to you. So 
So until you can really begin to recognize how you're creating that, and if you want to change it, it's going. It's probably going to mean if you've been a rescuer for years, if not decades of your life, it's probably going to mean that everybody you enlisted to play the victim to your rescuer is going to get pissed. They're not going to like this <laughs> at all that you're changing because you've taken care of them. You've been everything for them. And they're likely not going to like the changes that you're making. So you have to be willing to receive that. And if those people choose to leave your life because you're not playing the role for them that they require, can you let that happen? And what, I, what I've seen some people do is they're like, I can't take this anymore. Like say they're doing it at work. And so they quit their job, except then what they do is they go get another job and they create their new situation all over again and they do a job. Or they actually move. I've seen people move to a whole new city. Like, ah, I just, everybody yeah. wants, you know, I've lived here for 20 years and everybody always wants something from me and my phone's always ringing and people showing up on my doorstep and they always, I got to move. So they move and what do they do? They create the exact same situation in the new city because they haven't changed the role they're playing. If you believe that your value only comes from being the rescuer, you'll just create, keep creating it in relationship and after relationship after relationship in the same way. This is yep. what we're talking about breaking Absolutely. up with it. Yeah, it's true. It's so bizarre. And one of the things that I think plays into this that makes this breakup a little hard with everything you've been talking about and exposed and we've been sharing is there's an element of a rush of validation. You get a little mm-hmm. kick, a little high by being validated by being the hero, especially because people love to kiss the ass of the hero, like, oh, my God, you, you bet. saved my life. The more they bought into their victim position, the more that they're going to love the hero. Oh, my gosh, you're amazing, all this stuff. And, you know, I've got this friend, and he's a, this amazing, he's super masculine, this buff guy. You know, he's a Harley rider and all this stuff. And he and I have been best friends since, I don't know, I think I was eight when we met. And he's just this great guy. And he and I have weathered the divorces and the marriages and the crazies and the, you know, the lonely and all this stuff. And we just show up periodically. We're one of, you know, we may not talk for months, but we'll show back up and we're right back where we were. And it was so interesting because I have always acknowledged when he's been, you know, like somebody strong I can go to because I trust him for really honest feedback. Like he'll, he'll call me on my shit long before most people would, you know? And so I just acknowledged that. And, uh, he was talking to somebody, a new woman, and they were friends. And, and he came to me and he said, she said something that terrified me. And I was like, what did she say? And he said, she told me that I'm really good at rescuing women who are broken. And I was like, Uh-oh. he said, I don't want a fucking broken woman. I want a woman who's standing strong. I don't care if she's got flaws, but I'm not here to rescue her. And it was in that moment, it was so cool to witness, he, a, a switch was thrown in him where he was like, I will be your friend and I'm not rescuing anybody anymore. And he did. It changed who he dated. It changed how he showed up. It changed no more. Like, it was so empowering to witness him realize he had been saving women his whole life, including his mother. And when he realized that and he set himself free from it, he was like, oh, no, I want a companion. I want a badass. I'm a badass. I want a badass. You know, I don't need a wilting flower so that I can hydrate him. Like, no. And it was so interesting to witness him step into that. And as a witness, I had the opportunity to go, where am I playing this? Where do I play this out? And it was true. I was. I also came to you know terms with my own heroing. Mine was mm-hmm. mostly in friendships, but also in dating and that kind of thing. So sometimes we need the wake up call that says, "Hold on, am I hearing people I had that a good even one. need to be heroed?" Yeah. What? <laughs> oh, you go ahead. I got a good. I got a good illustration for that. But go ahead and finish your thought. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, are are we rescuing everybody because we surround ourselves with people that need to be rescued, or are we rescuing people that don't even need it? 
Mm. They don't even need it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are well, you I even aware that, of what you're doing? So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Tell me your story. I want to hear a good illustration. Uh, well, I would say there isn't a single person that needs rescuing. There, nobody oh, needs yeah. rescuing. Now, now that I see it a different way, nobody needs rescuing. They just need to know that they're capable. That's it. Because mm-hmm. as soon as somebody recognizes that they're capable, they're like, oh, how would I play a victim that needs rescuing for? It doesn't even occur to them anymore stops being a thing. Right. What I was going to say, I already shared, I played the victim, right? You're a little choppy. Your connection's a little choppy. Uh, uh, waiting for a man to come and rescue me and create my life and, and be responsible for my experience. So that's what exactly what I did uh, all the way on all the relationships up up to and including my marriage. So um, I'd been single for eight years prior to my marriage, met this guy, and at this point I was in my late 30s, and I would start to feel like any minute now I was going to turn into a spinster and um, be unmarriable. (laughs) (laughs) So I was feeling a little desperate, and when he showed up in my life, I was just like, okay, I think I would have just kind of like gone along with anybody because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be alone forever. And he came along and rescued me. No, there was no doubt. Like he, he was, uh, I put him up on a pedestal as this amazing person. And I blinded myself to everything he was, um, that, that didn't fit into like, you're the one basically. I was like, I'll, I'll allow myself to see all of the qualities about you that I, I'm going to decide are so amazing because it's going to require amazing to come rescue me and everything else. I'm just going to pretend I don't like, I'll just omit that. And so he was great. He was wonderful. You're amazing. Oh, my God. And, you know, you're, you're this for me and you're that for me. And you're, I mean, save, 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 rescue, 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 right? Like in the beginning, it's all yep. just everything smells like roses, right? And then <laughs> here's what happened. And I know I'm not the only woman who does this. So be willing to get kindly honest with yourself if you play this game. So, uh, you know, you're the, you're the one, you're going to rescue me. You're the one, you're the one. So, so I, you know, put him in charge. You're in charge of creating my life. You're in charge of my experience. And, and, and this is all well and good until after a while it's, he starts to fall down. Like he starts to not be able to do it exactly the way I want it, you know, and he <laughs> starts not being as perfect as I had put him up on that pedestal to be. And so everywhere I made him so amazing, I had to create him that way as the savior, right? I had to make everything about him perfect and amazing. And as time went on and there started to be little cracks in his perfect and amazingness because that was all my projection, then suddenly, I, I, I mean, over time, what started to happen is all of his amazing, amazing, amazing started to turn into judgment, and everywhere I judged him as amazing, because that's judgment, by the way, I was projecting all this amazingness on him. Um, and all that positive judgment slowly started to turn into negative judgment because he wasn't creating my experience exactly the way I wanted it. He wasn't being in charge of it the way I wanted him to. You know, I'm still unhappy over here, and you haven't fixed that yet. And and so within the period of our, our whole I, – I mean, I'm being fully transparent here in how this went down. And yep. so in the two and a half years of our experience, I went from thinking he was the savior to thinking he was fucking up in a massive way that I was constantly like poking, you know, starting fights with him to try and get him to, to change, to be better, to, to do better in making me happy. And I mean, that's not what I was saying to him. I wasn't saying those exact words, but everything in our interaction was all about that. You're not taking charge of my experience good enough. That's the message I was sending him. I mean, he was, he got, he fed off of, I mean, he had like that, we'll call it a savior complex just for, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, it's just as a descriptor. He fed off of women like me who thought like Mm -hmm. that puffed up his, ego massively he's like as soon as you you said it people love to kiss the ass of the hero and i was going to make him it's like being an approval junkie right i come along and i'm like you're amazing you're amazing you're amazing you're amazing and he believes it because he needs that he does if he doesn't feel uh any sense of well-being with that from an out exterior if there's any sort of deficit 
in himself, then I come along and I become that drug because I'm like, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. And he's like, yeah, he feeds on that. And then the more I start to turn and I'm like, you're not creating my experience good enough. Now I'm judging him negatively. Well, he's not being fed by me anymore, you see. He's not getting yep. that. He, he, you know, if he's an approval junkie, I'm not approving of him anymore. I'm not giving him all the, the stuff that he has a deficit of in himself. And so he left. And of course he left because everything that was making him stay, I stopped giving him. And I turned and I was like, you need to be better. You need to change this. You need to fix this faster. You, you know, like all of that energy was coming at him. And finally he was like, I'm gaining nothing by staying here. You're not giving me anything that I need. And, and so mm-hmm. somebody who's playing the rescuer, there's, it's, you know, whether you want to call it codependent or whatever, there's an energy that's required from both parties that if one of the parties stops receiving it, he left. And you know what he did? Within weeks, he had another woman, single mom, struggling single mom, who was back doing the exact same thing that I did. Oh, my God, you're so amazing. Thank you so much for buying me groceries. Thank you so much for watching my kid. Oh, my God, you're so amazing. You're so amazing. And boom, he started getting fed again because that's what he Mm. needed. This is how the triangle works. And I know I'm not the only woman out there who's made some man their rescue and then turned on them when they didn't do it good enough. Oh, my God. I'm sitting here, like, laughing with just awareness. Like, because I don't go to judgment, because I've looked at this so much, I'm giggling at Mm -hmm. all the ways Mm -hmm. I've done this. I'm laughing at how asinine I have played out you know, my game and how ridiculous it is for my, that I ever bought into that. And yet I realize also as I like, okay, I can see the humor in this. I can, I recognize I've done it. I know women who do it. I know women who have done it. I know men who do it. I know men who have done it. Like I, all of it, I can see it. Great. Awesome. And I'm telling you, for those of you who were in it and you are sitting there listening, staring at a wall saying, what in the Fuck. <laughs> I feel you, man. <laughs> yeah. It sucks when you realize that this is what your relationships are based on. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. And we are still inviting you to, to get curious. Is it working for you? Are you tired of putting somebody on a pedestal just so you can chop at the base and bring it down when they don't live up to the pedestal? Are you tired of that? Are you ready to change it? Are you ready to free yourself so that nobody else, nobody has the power to make your happy, your, your happy, your life fulfilling and happy? Are you mm-hmm. ready? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? I really love when I'm doing a show and I say something like that and I get a fuck you in a text. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. I know the wall. Nice. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) And we're sharing this because we've lived it. We are not sharing this because we're better than. Hell, I could use it tomorrow, truly, if I wanted to, but I don't. I just don't. If it's working for you, keep doing it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I mean, until I did, it was the divorce it was the divorce he left and then I was like what happened it took me years I, I, to actually unpack how I created that but that's the first question I started asking at least I had the presence to be able to say okay how did I create this <laughs> Um, because yeah. I realized I was the common denominator in all my relationships and they all sort of went the same way. And I was like, okay, I created this. It took me years, years to unpack that and fully reveal everything that I just re- said. Like that, that didn't come overnight. That awareness did not come overnight. And mm-hmm. I, I actually don't think I could choose that again, even if I, I wanted to I don't I have changed to such a degree that 
I don't even think I could choose that again, right? Like the the way that I right. um, uh, the way that I operate in my relationship now isn't even remotely like that. And the big piece is, you know, taking this is this is the, if there's anything, and I you know we keep saying this, bringing this in as a theme. If there's anything that I I would invite people to really be aware of is and ask yourself this question. Where, if you want to break up with the drama triangle, where are you making others in charge of your experience? Where are you deciding that you are in charge of others' experience? Are you willing to allow others to be in charge of their own experience? What do you have to believe to think it's your job to interfere with whatever they're choosing. This whole drama triangle, from my point of view, and I'm willing to be wrong about this, but this whole drama triangle is based on this one thing. We're not taking responsibility for our own experience. We're waiting for somebody else to do it. Or Mm -hmm. we think we have to be in charge of other people's experience and we've got to swoop in and save them and make their experience different because we're projecting that that's what they want or need. If we could let that go, that one thing, if you could actually say, and I see where I'm waiting for somebody else to make me happy. I swear I'm an approval junkie and I'm going around um, trying to rescue and save people because then I get, I, I, I'm addicted, I'm addicted to approval and they come back and they tell me how amazing I am and they give me all that approval because I have a deficit of that for myself. So I have to go somewhere else to get it. I mean, these things are fundamental to the drama triangle. And, I, I, you know, if people have to go back and listen to these shows over and over and over and over to get it, if, if you want to get it, if you really want to get off the triangle, like this, these fundamental things are kind of key. Otherwise, you will find yourself back in and not even understanding you're like I don't how did I get here again how did I get here again how did I get here again ask yourself the question this is one of the most powerful questions that I ever asked myself in changing my life from victim to creator where am I expecting someone else to be in charge of my experience where am I not taking responsibility or where am I thinking I need to interfere in someone else's experience powerful Mm -hmm. powerful questions Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so interesting because a lot of people, when they have this this engagement with the hero of saving people, what they'll do is say, but I just see how they could do it better and I'm just helping them. And Mm -hmm. there's a difference. So I want to give this distinction. There is a difference in doing it for somebody and offering them some feedback that they might want to act on so that they go through the process of creating the change that you see is possible for them. There is a big difference. And many times people come in and go, well, I just tweaked a few things. But the person you just saved from having to tweak never will learn how to tweak a few things. And that's one of the things is going into an environment because a lot of heroes go into an environment and they start fixing it. Like this company screwed up this way, I'm going to fix it. Whatever, and if it's not your job, you're heroing that environment. So if you see something and you just, you know, sure, you could say, hey, would you like some feedback on this? You know, would you like a suggestion? Would you like to make this more useful? They may say, no, this is exactly how I like it. I like it hard. This is what I'm familiar with. This is what I choose. Awesome. Guess what? Walk the fuck away. Don't convince them that they need your help. <laughs> because a lot of times that's the next step. But I can convince you that this is wrong and it mm-hmm. could be better. But really, stop. Because <laughs> the moment you start trying to convince or inflict what you believe is better, you are no longer the hero. Now you're the villain. Why? Because hero requires somebody to be less than them. Hero mm-hmm. requires somebody to be broken, somebody to need the help. And, and so it doesn't matter. If you hold them in victim as they need rescuing, 
and they don't receive it, you instantly, without even having to move a step, are now the villain because you're inflicting on them what they don't want. Yeah. And, and it's so quick, and we know it's quick, and we're acknowledging that. But these are some of the ways that you can really become familiar with, hey, uh, am I doing this? You know, what, what yeah. is it creating? Yeah, that's that's worth um, repeating again what you just said. I think because that hasn't that that slippery slope between being hero and villain. If you're not asking somebody a question, like this is to me, this is if you want to again breaking up with with hero, ask a question. Mm-hmm. Would you like my assistance with that? Would you like my help with that? Do you need any help? If you're not asking a question then it's possible that you're trying to fortify your value by forcing your help on somebody. And you do that to get something. You may not know that that's why you're doing it, but you're doing it to get something. So to me, it's just as simple as start asking questions. Every time you feel that urge, you're like, oh, look, I can help them. I know what's better. I know how to do that. I can, I can get in there. I can fix that. I did that. Like you start feeling that. <laughs> Ask a question. Ask uh-huh. a question. And then if they say no, like you said, it, then don't go into convincing. But wouldn't you rather, I mean, wouldn't it just be so much better if, but wouldn't you, you know, like uh-huh. that's where you start. That's where, that's, that's where that subtle shift from uh-huh. hero to villain. Because now you're trying to overpower them. They just said no. Uh-huh. I just said, no, right. thanks, don't want to change it, don't want your help. Now you're trying to change their mind. You're trying to overpower them with your whatever logic you have about, well, but don't you think it would be so much easier if you just did it this way? Don't you think it would be so much right. better if you just blah, 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 blah? That is the slippery, slippery slope from hero to villain, okay. hero to villain. These things happen in an instant, in an mm-hmm. instant. If you find right. it uncomfortable to receive somebody's no when you are trying to help, what do you have to believe about you for that to be incredibly uncomfortable? Because I swear, I, I see people do the pee-pee dance when somebody says, no, mm-hmm. no, I'm good. I, I, I don't need any help. It's massive discomfort. Like watching the person, and it's like, but that's broken. I can fix it, but that's broken. But I know how to do it better, but I can help you. And they're like, <laughs> mm-hmm. let me get in there. Let me get in there. And they cannot handle they, just receiving a simple no. Do you have to believe yep. about yourself or the whole situation? And, and I'm going to say it again. A hero, you said this, a hero requires somebody to be less than them, to perceive that they're less than. That puts me in the superior role and you're in the inferior role. The hero, you have to believe that in order to feel that somebody needs to be rescued. Yep. Yeah. So, <clears throat> as we move forward, because we've got to wrap up the show, you know, mm. the rest of the week, we're breaking up with wrong and right. And so, it doesn't matter what role. At this point on, so for the next two days, it won't matter what role it is. It doesn't matter if it falls under victim or, you know, hero, rescuer, or even the villain and the person. It does not matter where it goes. What we're going to be looking at tomorrow is, are you in lockdown of being wrong? And what are you creating in your life? And are you willing to break up? And then Friday, we're going to breaking up with, being in lockdown and committed to being right and what that's creating in your life. So I hope you'll come back for two more days of seducing aliveness here because this is, this is like the juice week. This will set you free and you may feel the discomfort of being untethered. Be sure you're in your body, do some physical activities, you know, be aware if you're judging everything, go into all of the tools that have ever been given on the show and are you willing to be curious about what could you possibly create in your life if you embodied everything we've talked of and really owned and claimed and embodied your own authority? What would that do to your aliveness? 
I think it's going to turn it on. But I, I'd love to know what it does to you. So give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> and Tamara, thank you, as always, for playing here with me. So, um, yeah, let's have a good hump day. We're getting over the hump, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for all the archive listeners. We will be back tomorrow, and we will talk to you then here on Seducing Aliveness. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.